This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Hi there, and welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Sandra Melvsen on her thought-provoking PhD work, where she used philosophical archaeology to shed light on how modern sport became to have such a contradictory face that it has today. So on one hand, modern sport has a positive impact on many areas of our society, but on the other hand, we so frequently hear about the abuse and misconduct in sport, including sexual harassment, doping, corruption, and so forth. In the first part, Sandra shared her personal journey of working in the institution of sport for three decades and started sharing on the methodology and key philosophical ideas informing her PhD work. In this part, we jump back to the conversation and hear more about psychoanalytical theories, Nietzsche's concepts of Apollonian and Dionysian, and how they can inform our thinking about sport, and whether and how Sandra sees some hope for a brighter future for modern sport. I recommend listening to the first part before this one, and now we'll get into the second part of the discussion. I hope you enjoy the episode. So when you mention that somebody has frustrations at home or with their relationship or with let's say work or something like that, that then you can go out on your bike and that's some kind of, is it release or escape or a way to deal with your frustrations or how does it then play out? Yeah, I think those are the, 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 the easy explanations. Huh? And, 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 and we, all, we, all, we all know how it can release you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but reading Lacan, and later on, I added the French philosopher, she's a woman, Julia Kristeva. They go a little bit deeper. So it's mm-hmm. all about how you grow up and what are your inscripts from the family you've been raised in. And this is character building. So for me, athletics was an escape from family I grew up in. And I needed this escape. As a youngster, an adolescent, I needed it to further develop. This is not an incident. This is structural, I would say. And it can, it can guide a a complete career in, in sports. And I, I think this is not only attacked to elite sports, but also all the, all the people, we call them the weekend warriors on their bikes. Mm, or on the field, yeah. eh? or uh, playing football, and uh, everything around this very practice is very interesting to 
to take a different look from the angle of psychoanalysis. And from that perspective, what is it that leads us to this excess dimension of sport? If you can maybe expand on that a little bit. Yeah, as I argue in my thesis, there's there because of this split, <laughs> this epistemic split. There's a whole dimension related to the, I would say, archaic roots of modern sports that's not included. But you spoke to Eunice Tunchell. There's always two energies in humanity: the mm-hmm. Dionysian one uh, versus the uh, Apollinean one. I would say mm-hmm. the Dionysian forces, energies, are not allowed in modern sports, but they are necessary for a balanced society. And mm. you need to have a, uh, somewhere to express these powers. And in ancient times, the Greek athletics were part of a ritual, a sacred ritual. Where the Dionysian forces were also. They were expressed. Yeah. They were There were uh, festivals, events in which you could have an excessive experience, but Mm. it was related to an honor to the gods. So in a way, it was absorbed in a a broader function, I would say. And we lost this. We lost this completely because of the secularization, of course. And some people say, well, modern sport is a new way of uh, religion. I don't think so. Not at all. I think it's it's an it seems more like an expression of nihilism because there's no sacred, I would say, surrounding in which going to a football match makes sense for your life. It does at the very moment. Mm-hmm. It's it can be a peak experience, but the next day you need to go again. It doesn't really contribute to in your terms a meaningful life for the long term and this is one of the reasons why there are so much transgressive tendencies in modern sport because we continue to strive again here comes spinoza (laughs) spinoza's concept of conatus it's about life striving to live surviving Uh, these dionysian powers will always try to be there They will always try to express themselves, even if they are not allowed or forbidden. And Mm. as I state, we have, with all our regulations, rule-based practice, in a way, I hope unwillingly, (laughs) we have excluded the very source of life, which is, I would say, also the the destructive Dionysian power. Mm. Freud calls this. Eros and Thanatos, the strife to love versus the strife to death. So to come back to your question, it shouldn't be very strange that we have to do with misconduct and all these attempts to go beyond the limits, the borders we surrounded around modern sports to protect its ethical core. Yeah, so if we go back to this idea of Dionysian and that's something that has been uh, rejected or omitted or silenced in modern sports. Is there a way for us to somehow try to restore it and 
if that was possible or how sport was played before, can you maybe expand a little bit? How does the Dionysian contribute to that more sustainable meaning or a more long-lasting meaning in sport? Maybe two questions, but yeah. you can go wherever you want yeah. from, from here. Yeah, yeah. To, to open up to the future evolving, because we're in, the, in this turbulent phase <laughs> because of COVID, yeah. in a way, my research preluded to transitions taking place as we're all involved in this field, I would say, I coined the concept of potentiality, which I derived from the works of uh, Giorgio Agamben. He's rather controversial, I would say, like all philosophers that have a a contribution to uh, the tradition. But anyway, uh, he, he derives this concept from the works of Aristotle. So it's all very solid philosophy I'm using. But uh, as Agamemnon states, potentiality is always also about the things we do not manifest. So I play the trumpet, for instance. <laughs> I do, eh? I really do. But at this very moment, it's uh, in the corner of the room, the trumpet. But I still consider myself as a trumpet player even on the bike. <laughs> yeah. So the impotentiality goes together with the potentiality to play. And in modern sports, I consider uh, the practice as a body, a body, a body. So uh, you, you could say there are things we can do and we do all the time, performances, training, coaching, the philosophy of sport as a tradition, sports sciences, those are all things I would qualify as potentiality. But there's also an area, a realm, I would qualify as impotentiality. And the impotentiality can be found in the chess pool, in the downside. So to come beyond the current situation, to evolve, as a community of modern sports, I think we should include, re-include the chess pool, the realm where impotentiality is gathered. And to be very concrete, because people always ask, yeah, well, well, well what should I do tomorrow, uh, today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my research, my thesis ends with uh, several options. One of them is to restore a new kind of sacrality in modern times, post-modern times, I would say, I think going outside in nature is one of the, one of the methods to restore that modern sports is part of a bigger whole, a bigger context surrounding. And the second one would be, we call it societal um, CSR issues. At this very moment, I'm employed for uh, the Dutch Football uh, League. And I'm supporting them with uh, rebuilding their societal involvement in community work or health uh, care. So this, I think these two applications may help restore a way of sacrality around modern sport, modern sacrality. 
So it's not about religion, but it's about, I would say, a, a bigger meaning in which modern sports shares. And this is a way to counter fear, the complete, you know, the, um, the way we made uh, winning and participating the absolute goal of modern sports. So if you surround it with different areas, it, it helps to refine a new balance. Yeah, these are really complex ideas, but it's it's great that when you are working in this practice field as well, you always have to be communicating to these broad audiences. Yeah. Maybe my second question is um, then this Dionysian, like how can it manifest in sport and, and should we try to do something Like you mentioned, it's not an individual question. It's more like a systemic question of where we are heading as a sport culture. Is is there some way to think about Dionysian and how that can be restored in, in sport? I think it does every day. If you look at uh, urban sports and the way mm. they are developing, that's why C is so important for our round table in split. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's a lot of Dionysian power in uh, new urban ways of uh, of sport. Uh, we we should help them to to protect these sources, the power. So I don't think there's a there's a complete operation necessary, a policy towards Dionysian power. I think it's it's apparent in daily life in the new. Uh, more innovative ways young people want to develop sporting institutions. So I would say that the current crisis, as a result of this coronavirus, it's a, a, a marvelous impulse. It helps to um, develop new ways of organizing sports. Basically, you are saying that we have and i agree with you that we have like this diver diversification of of sport cultures and we have these different ways of practicing that maybe have like different dimensions and we are exploring new ways of moving and and experimenting what we can do with movement But if we think of competitive sport and if we think of elite sport, which is something that you worked with and you talked about these economic powers and and the way things are developing, can we really see a change as long as this, you know, higher, faster, stronger ideology is there? Is there a way to change that culture without really abandoning these very... Uh, the elite sport as an idea completely or no. how can we move forward in that yeah. area? I, I would say my, my, my thesis is not about these solutions, but I have of course thought about it. And because I, I find the task of philosophers is more in uncovering and pointing out implicit presuppositions than in uh, guiding to solutions. But Of course, yeah. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. very, uh, <laughs> at the moment, I'm very positive about what's happening because you might say that all these institutions and all these constructions we've built from 
Elite Sports as a external, internalized goal of modern sports, they are collapsing. They are under our eyes. I I don't think there will be Olympics in Tokyo. It might happen. And and we need, actually, we need these rather disruptive forces to reconsider what we're trying to conserve. And there's a role, I would say, there's a task for the philosophy of sport in where are we in this battle? Are we attacked to the way modern sports has been over the past hundred years? Or should we guide transition? And in this case, I really want to stress another very, very important uh, conclusion in my doctoral research. I think that in validating over and over the definition of sport as play or game playing, this is very uh, dangerous because in a way, we install innocence and we go, we ignore the possibility that modern sport is not about play, but about fight, about competition, like a way of a more destructive tendency in modern sport. So archaeology is always about addressing the way we overvalidate certain powers I would say in modern sports, in thinking about modern sports, the, the, the stress surrounding sport is play. It's very normative. It's not, I would say, it's not really realistic anymore. And I discovered that this Johan Huizinga yeah, is homo ludens. He wrote it in 1938. At that moment, he already had a, a quite severe observation regarding modern sports. He did not consider modern sports anymore at the time as play. And we are certainly further away. And now we are than much when. more further yeah. away. But, but the field of knowing about modern sport didn't even include this very criticism in Homo Ludens in its, what I call, canon, its tradition. Only in the in the 80s and 90s, we had critical theory and there was a little bit more awareness of, hey, uh, there's also a different side of sport. But then this, it's not really in the body of knowledge of modern sport. It's, it's more uh, the anti-sport movement <laughs> uh, that stresses the destructive side of sport. For instance, mm. maybe, you know, uh, play the game. Uh, it's a community of uh, research journalists. They are okay. so very negative about what modern sports brings about. But these people were believers once. But right. they, they have developed in the most, I would say, cynical witnesses of modern sports reality. So in my thesis, I, I see this as a, a polarity. Sport is play versus sport as fight and we use yeah. these narrative to legitimize sport whenever we need to yeah, mm-hmm. so, so in my times as an employee of the dutch olympic committee we talked about the playfulness if we needed funding from the government it's, it's like this and all the social impact and the social values and cohesion, integration, and we did not talk about the agonistic dimension. This narrative appeared useful in defending or excusing for 
violence or uh, other incidents in modern sport. Then this narrative about football as a kind of war, mm-hmm. we used it if necessary. So uh, this change of perspectives, I think in the community of sport philosophy, we must be very, very careful in what we validate and what we are not affirming or are not discovering, including. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And when you say that to get funding, maybe you are emphasizing this sport as the source of good narrative. But at the same time, we have so many of these crises in sport that equally you can use the sport as destructive force narrative for funding right yeah, yeah, we, yeah we we are exploring both sides but the polarization is something that you are quite concerned about i'm quite concerned world. about and i use the thoughts of a government who mm-hmm. is advocating to deactivate these kind of what he calls dichotomies the dichotomies of course there's duality there is between uh, black and white or uh, day and night, uh, Dionysian, Apollinian, there is. But there's always yeah. a need to, to relate them equally. Because if you stress sport as play, it develops into a normative quality. And I see in, in sport ethics and the philosophy of sport that this, I would say, discourse leads to a disqualification of anything that's not answering to this norm, normative quality. Then it turns out that you make a, a, a wonderful definition, sport as a social practice, playfulness, ethical core, and everything that's, that's anything that's not responding to this definition, in a way, is objected exclude it i would say bequeath it and then it's about good and bad and it becomes a moral division in which we i think we we have a responsibility to maybe reconsider what has happened but yeah, yeah. Mm. these are very very uh, fundamental questions i try to um, to pose and i hope that there's this momentum because of COVID, to have a a new uh, start in uh, how we conceptualize sports. And this will affect the very practice of sport. And I consider it much more my task these days to to inspire the philosophy of sport. I've been employed in sport for almost 30 years, and I really look forward to taking a reflexive position now i don't i don't have to be on the track anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's really wonderful to hear about i mean you reflected on your own journey and maybe first being more like an ambassador for sport as a force of good and then really spending this time doing very critical analysis and Mm. and i mean some things that you tell me about modern sport like there are some really serious dark sides that you have identified and you have discussed today mm-hmm. but i i think it's just like you said maybe the covid crisis where we are and you talked about disruptions and in existentialist thought as well often when things break down that's yeah. the time when 
we have the possibility to look around and reconsider where we are and what is the direction we want to go yeah. from here. I think in this we need, to be honest, we need some female uh, competences because I was, I've been reading Hannah Arendt lately. Uh-huh. Yeah. The Human Condition. And she's one of the uh, inspirational sources for Giorgio Agamben's thoughts. So as a philosopher, you go to the roots. And she's pointing at the possibility to forgive as a necessary power for evolving to the future. And as you might know, she's been at the Eichmann uh, process. And she wrote this, mm. this, this wonderful uh, report on it about the banality of evil. Yeah. And, but she, at the same time, she was, she was able to, to look Eichmann in the eyes and to see him as a human being. So as a Jew, to be able to include the evil as expressed in the person of Eichmann, it takes a long spiritual journey, I would say. And the key to this is being able to forgive. So my thesis and my research has only been possible <laughs> because of compassion and empathy towards all those actors, executives, coaches in modern sports who try to do their best every day but who struggle yeah, because of temptations and personal demands, uh, the institutional force, all the uh, influences around modern sports. So I'm very hopeful <laughs> in the uh, healthy the evolution of modern sports. I am, to be honest. But yeah. we need to learn to forgive. Mm. And I think these words of hope are something like a very good way for us to finish up for today. And you already mentioned that hopefully we are doing a roundtable discussion in, in the IAPS, in the Philosophy of Sport conference yes. in a few months from now. We'll see what happens with whether that will be in person or or online, but in that roundtable that you are organizing with Unistum, so that we would be yeah. discussing this These trans story yeah. phase of sport and how we can imagine the future yeah. as well. Would be nice. And what can, yeah, mm -hmm. and what is the role of sport philosophy in all of this? And that's really important that you are lifting that, that sport philosophers can have such an important role and contribution when when we are thinking about these really big questions yes thank you yes yeah so thank you so much for for the conversation and i'm certain that it will stir a lot of lot of thoughts and hopefully some debates as well okay thank, wonderful thank you very thank you. much very much for asking and uh, maybe maybe one last uh, yeah. remark i wrote my thesis in dutch because it's closer to my heart. But from now on, I'm translating it to articles, papers, for, for instance, sport ethics and philosophy, the, the, the journals in, uh, in this uh, field. So yeah. it, will, uh, it will come through in English now. And uh, uh, the, this, this conversation helps a lot to find the right words. <laughs> yeah. And when something comes out, I'm I'm certainly linking to our our episode. So okay, thank you. And then yes. also be found uh, via the podcast show notes. Okay, yeah, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. 
Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.